You are listening to a podcast from C3 Church Wallandilly. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash C3 Wallandilly. People let us down. Situations don't go the way we would like. Financial burdens come. Relationships break down. Life happens, sometimes beyond our control. And those things, what they do is they can cause a a bondage to come into our world. They can cause a constriction to come. Today in this place... Are we... Oops, I'll just keep... Will you keep using this one? Today in this place, I believe God wants to set you free. God wants to deliver you from bondage to whatever that thing is. So while you've got your eyes closed, before we get into the devotion, this is like a preparatory phase. I'm going to pray for you after the devotion because I I want your, your faith to be anchored not in the words of your pastor, but be anchored in the words of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do a devotion, and then you get, we're going to pray at the end, and I'm going to lead you to pray for freedom. But right now, I want you to identify if there's that area. If that's you, and you can identify an area where you want to see a greater level of freedom, a greater level of liberty, a greater level of deliverance from hardship and bondage, as we head into 2020, raise your hand up right now if you see an area of your world where you want to see freedom. Lots of hands up. Lord, I pray for every person that has raised their hand in this place this morning that they will experience from this simple little message. They will, uh, that that word of God that I'm about to deliver will bring faith, take seed, take root in their hearts so that they can know that Jesus has come to set the captives free. That they can know that in a relationship with Jesus, they can live in absolute freedom. But they would know that their freedom is not determined by outward situations and challenges because the freedom that you give, Lord Jesus, is a freedom in our heart that has nothing to do with what's going on around about us. We can live in a true freedom. And Lord, I pray that the, the seed would take root, that your words would bring life and hope, and that people who've raised their hands this morning will be able to leave with a new level of freedom, a new level of confidence in their God able to live beyond the challenge, live beyond the disappointment, live beyond the lack, live beyond the failure, so that not only can they live in freedom, but that then they can take that freedom and give it away to others. Others, I I believe there'll be some of you here who, others will look at you and say, I know what's going on in your world right now, and you're ministering to me. How come you're bringing me freedom when I know you have all the reason in the world to be living in bondage? And and these people in this situation, you're going to be able to say, it's not because my situation has changed, it's because God has has brought me freedom on the inside, and freely I have received, so freely I am giving away to you. There is going to be such freedom come into your life this Christmas season, where the burden has been heavy, where there has been challenges and worries and fears. God is going to lift you above those things, and you're going to be a minister of the gospel of freedom to other people's lives. It's not going to be a Christmas season where it's about you. It's going to be a Christmas season where you're going to be able to give away to others what God has already given to you. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Well, we're going to do this little devotion, a simple little thought I wanted to share. I think, Pastor Ivana, you're wrapping up our gift season next week. Is that correct, Pastor Ivana? We've got four weeks called The Gift that we're doing here at C3, and uh, and we've kind of got this this theme. I already prayed it, actually. It came out in, in uh, first in just in my prayer then from Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at it in just a moment, where Jesus says, you have been fr- you're freely given, now freely give away. Uh, and we'll have a look at that in just, a, I think it's verse 8 of Matthew 5 in just a moment. But we wanted to just remind ourselves this Christmas, as we were preparing the season, we wanted to remind ourselves that this is a season to be generous to others, that we have received from God. Now let's be a people who freely give it away to other people. Do you know, I've been reading some historical books recently. Uh, while I was away this week on holiday, I was reading a book, and, and I was intrigued, even in, in this ancient historical book, it was a historical fiction book, that just how ingrained into all ancient cultures the, the concept of gift-giving is. That, that people throughout all cultures have understood throughout history that when they celebrate something, they give something to someone else. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we're celebrating what we've received. If you're celebrating something, it's because you've got something good. But something inside the human heart, when that happens, it stirs us to want to give away what has been given to us. And that's not just a Christian thing. It's like that's in the heart of humanity. And I think it probably is anchored in the heart of God. But therefore, because we are anchored in the heart of God and we are made in the image, every human is made in the image of God, there is something in us that wants to do that. Now, I'm not a gift-giving person, personally. Who, who has a love language of gifts in this place? Karen does. Your wife does. Yes, my wife does too. There's a few gift-givers. For me, we were having a discussion. Our daughters were wrapping presents at the Christmas table last night, and I said how much I... What did I say? I just said, oh, I so love wrapping presents. Not. Something like that. Who likes wrapping presents? I'm with you, Robin. I saw Robin shake her head straight away. Like, I reckon I was actually saying... I said last night, I think the gift bag is the greatest invention since sliced bread. And then I said, no, actually, it's better than sliced bread. It's, but then Jill told me that our kids think that when we put things in a gift bag, we don't really love them because we haven't put any care into it. So, so I can't win in this situation. But so gift giving is not, my, is not my love language. And yet I understand that when we're generous, we reflect the heart of God. And when, the gift wrapping at the shops, that's probably the greatest invention since sliced bread. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I understand that to be generous reflects something. And Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. We won't worry about that Matthew 5 scripture. We'll get ready for the Luke one. I'll just mention Matthew 5. So Jesus is sending out his disciples, and he says, guys, I've given you so much. Now I want you to go and freely give away what I have given you. You don't, you're not to keep this, this freedom that I have given you. You're not to keep this new life, this new hope, this resurrection power, everything we, we've sung about. He said, I don't want you to keep it for yourselves. I want you to be the deliverers of that gift to other people. That's our mandate. I think it was last week in Camden. I don't, I don't think I said it here last, last week. But I actually said that if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't get a pass on that. You don't say, oh, that's not my love language. I'm not a gift giver. I don't get a pass because I'm not a gift giver on that. Jesus says, if you're a follower of Jesus, freely you have received, freely give. Now, I'll be the first to say we don't always do that well. We mean well, but we, we mess up, we, we fail, we get sidetracked. We, I, I do that all the time. I, I'm always consciously 
and subconsciously falling short of the benchmark that I would like to achieve for myself. But, but by God's grace, we can continue to strive forward and we can continue to be generous and we can continue to, to want to give away what God has given to us. And so that's, that's our challenge for you this Christmas, in a nutshell, is that regardless of where you find yourself, if you could discover what God has done for you deep in the inside, then you can be the light in the room on Christmas Day. Amen. You can be the light, no matter how hard your life has been this year, you, because Christ is in you as a follower of Jesus, can be the light of the room. You can be the person that doesn't pick the fight. You can be the person who's the peacemaker. Because we all know that there's always, Uncle James always wants to pick a fight about religion, sex, or politics on Christmas afternoon, right? You can be the peacemaker into that situation because God has given you peace. So apologies to Uncle James. I don't know where that one came from. I don't have an Uncle James. So I want, to, I want to take us on a, on a little journey through the next couple of minutes through a passage that it's not really a Christmas passage. It comes immediately following the Christmas passage. It's found in Luke chapter 4. It, it's about 30 years after the Christmas story, actually. It, it's the story when Jesus begins his ministry. He's born as a baby. But did you know that Jesus didn't stay as a baby? <laughs> he, he grew up. He grew up and lived a sinless life and lived as a carpenter's son, a, a mason's son in the town of Nazareth and had a trade and grew and learned how to do life. And, and you know, he wasn't perfect in the sense that he was perfect in his sinless nature, but it didn't mean that he didn't hurt himself. He, if he banged himself with a hammer, it still hurt because he was a human being. Jesus was a human being just like us. And so he, he grew up. And the time came for him to start his ministry. And so Jesus was baptized yeah, down south of Galilee, down in Judea, um, under, by John the Baptist. And he returned to Galilee, the region in north of Israel, which was his home area where he'd grown up. He'd grown up in the, the town of Nazareth. And some of us have been to Nazareth. Who's been to Nazareth here? I can see Graham, Carol, Steve, Vicky, Karen. That's it. We've all, we went there last year to Nazareth. Nazareth is a town on a hill. It literally is a very big town. And now it's a very big town. It's, it's 10,000 plus people, uh, mainly an Arab town. But in the time of Jesus, it was a Jewish town, and it was nowhere near that big. And uh, Jesus grew up in that town, and, and it's probably a bit like growing up in Buxton, I suppose. Everyone knows everybody else's business, or growing up in Jill's hometown of Gulgawi, which is like a, a town of 300 people, and uh, everyone knows everybody's business. So, uh, so that's what it would be like. Everyone knew Jesus. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew his family. And Jesus had been down south, and he'd returned, and he'd returned, and he began to minister, and he was doing miracles, and, and he was getting some notoriety and some renown, and people were coming from all over to, to visit Jesus. But Jesus, up until this point, had not returned to his hometown. But you can bet the word had gotten there, yeah? They had heard along the way that this local boy was doing all kinds of rabbi work, and he wasn't trained as a rabbi. He'd never been to to study in Jerusalem under the, the great Rabbi Gamaliel or anything like that. He was just a local carpenter, and yet he was doing rabbi work, and they would have heard about this. And so Jesus returns to Nazareth, and we're going to pick up that story. And he comes into the, the uh, synagogue in Nazareth. Now, when you think synagogue, you've, you, you, I don't know if you've seen it in the movies, you kind of think of this big, exhausting room. You can't think that for the synagogue in Nazareth. In fact, they, they, uh, we, we go to this place in Nazareth, and we go there called Nazareth Village. Right in the heart of an Arab town, they have, uh, some Christians have carved out a section of land, and they have a working farm, a uh, working farm that they're running like a, like a first century farm, complete with farm animals, and you see, you see the, the ladies doing all the, what do you call that stuff? 
speeding, weaving, 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 spinning. That's right. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Vicky, Vicky would know. Yeah, so you see all that doing that, and the guys are doing the work with the farm animals, and they show you how they use their tools and all that kind of stuff. And then they take you into the synagogue. They've made a, a replica of what the synagogue of Nazareth would have looked like. And, and I would be over-exaggerating if I told you it was as big as a quarter of this building. So it's it probably about, about, imagine about a quarter of the size of this building. That would be about right, wouldn't it, guys? It's not, a, it's not a big room. And so Jesus comes back to Nazareth and goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and is due, he's asked because, oh, Rabbi, we've heard that you're a rabbi. We've heard that you've got some followers. We would like to honor you today by giving you an opportunity to share something from the Scriptures. So I want to tell that story. So we pick that story up in Luke chapter 4, I think verse 16. I'm just going to read the whole story through and then we'll see where we go with it over the next couple of minutes. So Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, and he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Verse 20. We've got verse 20 there. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. I haven't got the next verse up there, but I, Jesus sat down on the seat at the synagogue like this with everyone looking at him. And it's what Jesus says next that sparks great emotion. He says, today, we haven't got it up there. It's a typo. I should have had 21. It's my bad. He says, today, in your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. Today, right now, this prophecy is fulfilled. You know what happened next? Sorry? They tried to drag him out of town and throw him over the cliff is what they did. They tried to drag him off the edge of the cliff. We drove to the edge of the cliff. They're pretty sure they know it's a very steep cliff, precipice. They call it, they call it Mount Precipice, actually, with good reason, because it's very steep and it's straight down. They dragged him out of town and tried to throw him over a cliff. Why such an emotional response to such seemingly positive words? I mean, who doesn't want to hear those words? Do you know every Jew in that room knew those words? Every Jew in that room wanted those words to be fulfilled because those words were part of the hope that they had as a Jewish people. You see, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had been living in bondage. They had been living in captivity to oppressive foreign powers. It started with the Babylonians, then it went to the Persians and the Medes, and then it went to the Greeks. And then there was a period of freedom of about 80 years where the Jews fought for their own freedom. And then the Romans came along and they'd been living in a Roman oppression for another 80 odd years by this time. And they had been looking for a deliverer. And those verses in Isaiah chapter 61 are part of one long poem. And when I say long poem, I mean like from Isaiah 42 through to Isaiah 65, I think it is. It's like, you know, what is that? 23 chapters. It's actually one long poem. And it's what the Jews call the Messianic poem. 
all the way through those passages, there's a reference to this one person. He's referred to as the servant, the suffering servant. All the way through, there's this reference to one person who would bring deliverance to his people. Of course, right in the middle of that is the most famous verse, chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray, ba-ba, do-ba-ba. Anyone know that? Colin Buchanan, you got it. Isaiah 53, all the kids are out, they might know it. Right in the middle of that, this passage that, that prophesies about a deliverer, a person who would come to bring freedom, and they were looking for freedom. They were looking for someone to deliver them from the oppression of hundreds of years of bondage, where they were constricted, where life wasn't what it should be, where they weren't experiencing the freedom to live in their own lands and experience life the way that they knew that they should or could, rather like we talked about for some of us this morning. And so you would think, wouldn't you, that when a person shows up and says, guess what, guys? I've got good news. I've got good news. Today is the day. You've been waiting for this for a long time. Today, right now, I'm fulfilling this. I am your deliverer. I've got gospel. The word gospel comes from the word good spell, which means good news, good tidings. I've got good news for you. And instead of rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, instead of saying, yeah, and dragging him up on their shoulders and carrying him through town and dancing like at a Jewish wedding or something, instead of that, they drag him out of town and want to throw him over a cliff. Why? Why? Well, I think there's some simple thoughts that maybe we can apply ourselves to our own lives. First one is familiarity. Because they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know who he is. He's no Messiah. We know who he is. If he was in Australia, they'd say, we used to play cricket with him. But they didn't play cricket in Israel. We know who he is. The carpenter's son. We know all his sisters and brothers. He's no Messiah. How can he be the one to deliver us? He hasn't even had any military training. He's a nobody. He's just an ordinary person, just like us. Familiarity. I wonder sometimes if we as Christians, followers of Jesus, can fit into that category too. We become familiar, too familiar with church and church life and reading our Bible and all of that. And somehow in the middle of that, we miss the wonder. Somehow we think, I got this church thing figured out. I know how Christmas season works. I'll come to church every Sunday. I'll have Christmas Eve service. I'll have Christmas Day with my family. I'll have a holiday. I know how this Christmas season works. And somehow in the, the humdrum and the familiarity, we end up missing the glory. And because we miss the glory, because we miss the Messiah in the middle of it, we miss everything that the Messiah wanted to bring us. See, Jesus didn't just come to be the Messiah. He came to do some things. And we just read them to bring freedom and sight for the blind and release from bondage and all these wonderful things that we all say we want. But if we're not careful, we end up like the people of Nazareth. Now, we might not drag Jesus out of town, but we let familiarity squash what God wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? We don't want to be like that. Familiarity. 
I almost need my notes because I've forgotten. I had three other things, but I can't remember. I was going to try and do it without my notes. I'll see how I go. Familiarity breeds contempt. I'm going to get my notes. I don't want to miss it. Let me just see what else I had written down. Nah, it's all right. Once I know what they are, I'll be right. See, you still get mental blocks sometimes. Okay. The next one I wanted to talk about was doubt. Doubt. Because when things don't always work out, we begin to doubt. We doubt whether God will come through for us. Sure, he comes through for Pastor Terry and Ivana because they're such godly people. But, but me, you know, I, I didn't have that kind of week. I wasn't perfect. Well, I've got some news for you. Pastor Terry and Ivana weren't perfect this week either. And I don't know that from any personal first-hand experience. But, but oh, I mean, I was on holidays for a few days this week and I wasn't perfect. We all make mistakes. I doubt that God can do it for me. He can do it for them, but can he do it for me? Of course he can, right? That's right, Pastor Ivana. Of course he can. And of course he will. It's not freedom for some. He says, I've got good news for all people. We read that scripture the other week. The angel said, it's good news for all people. Freedom for all people, regardless of whether you're the lowliest of the low or the highest of the high. In fact, it's easier for the lowliest of the low because the lowliest of the low, the poor, the poor know that they need help. The rich don't know it as much. So good news needs to supersede doubt. If you're doubtful today, can I ask you to come with the heart that, that, that dad had about his son when he was facing doubt? He says, I want you to do something, Jesus. I don't know if you can, but if you could do anything, please help me. And Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Park the doubt. Park the disappointments and say, I choose to believe again today. I choose to believe again today. I choose to believe tomorrow and the next day and the next day. In fact, if I don't see the breakthrough before I go to be with Jesus, you'll still find me believing that I choose to believe that he is good. I choose to believe that he's on my side. I choose to believe that I can experience freedom on the inside, even if I can't experience freedom on the outside yet. Because I said it earlier, freedom is not dependent upon that. So complacency, doubt, lack of wonder is the other one I want to draw our attention to. Linda, if you could just come and jump on the keys, thanks, as we get ready to wrap up. Lack of wonder. Kind of goes with complacency, I suppose. But you see, for the people of... Nazareth, just like all the people, the Jewish people of that day, they were looking for a Messiah to come in a certain way. They were expecting a Messiah to come in a certain way. They were expecting that their Messiah would be a triumphant military leader, arrayed in glorious garments, riding on a stallion, sword in one hand, shield in the other, clothed in armour and glory, with an entourage behind him, riding into Jerusalem to kick the Romans out and deliver the people of God. They were looking for a wondrous Saviour and they missed the wonder of the Saviour. They were looking for a wondrous Saviour, they missed the wonder of the Saviour. Because the wonder of the Saviour was that the glorious God of heaven would leave all that there and would become a baby in a manger. 
would go from the highest of all highs, higher than any earthly military leader, higher than Caesar himself, would leave it all in heaven and say in Philippians 2, I'm not holding on to any of that. I'm going to come as a baby, as a human being, and be found in the most humblest of places. Friends, that's more wondrous than the wonder of a military saviour. Because that shows the love of a God who wasn't just interested in delivering a person or a nation, but wanted to deliver every one of us from the burden of sin, from the thing that holds us down. He came to defeat the back of the power of sin so that we can truly live in freedom. Could we just have those few verses? I think it's the second screen there, just back on our screen, the second, the second bit of Luke 4 there where he says the freedom from... There we go, thanks. Thanks for that. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To the poor. I wonder if you feel poor today. That can be a poverty of finance. It can be a poverty of position. In fact, the word poor in the Hebrew means all of those things. In, in the Greek language at the time, it means all of those things. It just means a lack of prestige, a lack of anything that would give you notoriety. Often it is linked to finance, but it's not always that. He says, I've got good news for you. If you're poor today and you're in lack, you've come to the right place. You see, Jesus wasn't just standing in the synagogue in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, Jesus is here right now. And these words are as real to us as they were to those who heard him that day. My challenge to us is how are we going to respond in these next few minutes? How are we going to respond? Let's not be the people who ignore them, get angry with them. Let's receive the good news that he has for the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Before we finish today, I'm going to pray, and I believe Jesus is going to release you from captivity that the blind will see. Today you might be in this place and there's some areas in your world where you've not been able to see clearly. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you just can't see the way forward, you're blinded by, by situations or challenges in life, God wants to give you some clarity today so you can launch into this season and into 2020 with a, with a new clarity about what the future will look like for you, the direction that God has for you. Because my friend, God always has a good plan for us. It doesn't always look like a good plan, but faith says it always is a good plan. Because he said to the exiles in the middle of the worst place they could be, away from their homeland in Babylon under a cruel dictatorship, he says, guys, I've got good plans for you. They're not plans to harm you. It might look like that right now, but my plans are to give you a hope and a future. Good plans. Give you clarity to see that the oppressed will be set free. That there is a, there, I believe that there is a spiritual oppression that wants to settle. In fact, the guys were uh, telling me before the service this morning that there was all kinds of technical stuff and all kinds of challenges they were facing. And I, I really feel right now that that was because the demonic spirits want to keep people oppressed, keep people small, keep people hidden away for, out of freedom. Today in this place, there is a spiritual freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord is here, there is freedom. Oppressed will be set free. Whatever has been keeping you negative, keeping you bound, the disappointment, the hurt, the lack of clarity, whatever it might be, in this place today, I'm going to pray that the spirit of oppression will be lifted off you, that the time of the Lord's favour 
has come. Just before we pray, I want to talk about what that verse means, the time of the Lord's favour. They understood that very clearly. It was the Jubilee year, the Jubilee year. In the Old Testament, you see, there's these patterns that appear repeatedly, the Sabbath pattern. Every seven days, the people of God were to have a Sabbath. And it was God's way of saying, trust me. The Sabbath became a picture for complete freedom. For God, it was basically like the return to Eden. Return to God's ideal was the Sabbath. It's a place where you don't have to work and strive to get make ends meet. I will provide for you a Sabbath. That principle played out every seven days. Then every seven years, there was a time when they were to not harvest not plant and not harvest. It was God's way of saying, hey, in Eden, in where the place I'm taking you, in this future place I'm taking you, you aren't going to have to strive and struggle because I'm going to provide for you. It was to remind them that God was their provider. And there are so many other uh, patterns of this Sabbath principle that came out. In fact, in a couple of weeks' time, on the 29th of December, I'm going to preach a message, a little devotion here called Holidays. Because the, Did you know that holidays are God's idea? Holidays are God's idea. We're going to talk about what, what it means, what, what's the biblical pattern for holidays and how, how do we live when we're in holidays? What's, what sh- how should we conduct ourselves when on holidays? I'm going to talk about that in two weeks' time. So this pattern of the Sabbath and every seven years and then every seven, seven years, so every 49 years, at the end of the 49th year, they were to proclaim a 50th year, the year of Jubilee. That was a very special Sabbath year because not only did they not plant the ground, but in that year, God restored back to all the peoples their native ter- their native titles. What that meant was God was the great leveler. The rich never continued to get rich because after every fifty years, no matter if people had made bad bad choices, bad financial choices, whatever had gone wrong in their world, God was saying, "In that year, you get your property back." In that year, you're restored to freedom. In that year, all slaves are set free. It's a complete year of freedom. It's a restoration of Eden. And Jesus, on this day, in this tiny little tiny little synagogue in Nazareth, is proclaiming to a group of maybe 30 or 40 men and a few women outside listening, He's proclaiming, today that is fulfilled. Today, all the hopes and dreams of thousands of years of Jewish history are fulfilled right here. I've come to bring you freedom. 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 Completely set free. Thanks for listening today. For more episodes and information, please visit our website at c3wc.com forward slash Wallandilly or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c3wallandilly.